When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details. This is Alice Bag, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Hey everybody, today I'm talking with legendary session guitarist Wadi Wachtel. I mean, talk about a rock and roll name. He has played with everyone in the Southern California scene and then some, even Steve Perry and the Rolling Stones and Iggy Pop, to name a few. But I was lucky enough to get Wadi because he just got off tour with Stevie Nicks. So in our discussion, we're gonna deep dive on his 50-year relationship with the Belladonna, as well as talk about his time with the Everly Brothers, working with Warren Zevon, his work composing for film, and how all his gigs along the way would create these lasting relationships and ultimately pave the way to his current group, the immediate family. There's a lot of ground to cover, and Wadi's got some incredible stories. So let's get started. St. Paul the persecutor was a cruel and sinful man Jesus hit him with a blinding light And then his life began I said a yes I said a yes Augustus knew temptation He loved women, wine, and song And all the special pleasures Of doing something wrong I said a yes I said a yes Wadi, it is so great to have you on. And you you may know this, but I had your uh, comrade in arms, Danny Korchmar, on a few months ago. Oh, you did? Oh, well, I, I think I did know that, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. It was so great to talk to him. So it's been, it, it, it is an honor to have two of the immediate family on My Rock Moment. So thanks for being on. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having us, really. And I know that you just got off the road with Stevie Nicks. Almost. I'm, I'm in Phoenix right now. We have oh, one more show. Phoenix. We have when yeah we well we had to cancel two shows during the during the trip, uh, so we're making them up. We had to do Houston the other night, and now we're doing uh, Phoenix tomorrow night, and then that's it. And then we run home. Then we start. Then we start rehearsing the uh, the band for the upcoming gigs we have in November, December. I know, I know. Yeah, you you are just 
back to back. And I'm bummed because you guys played the Hollywood Bowl. This was probably a month or so ago. I had to teach that night. And it was almost like just adding insult to injury because of the way home. I had to drive by the bowl. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And I saw all the crowds and I wished I was there. Uh, It was a fun night. It was the first time Stevie had ever done the bowl on her own. We did it once before when we were doing that uh, split bill with Rod Stewart and Stevie. We did the bowl that night, but this was uh, very, very special. I'm sure. Full to the brim and uh, a lot of love. It was great. Oh, yeah. And the city that you call home, you know, for or have called home, you know, for, yep. for the most Quite part. So it's yep. nice to be on your home turf. Now, this was a tour that was scheduled a while back. And obviously, everything was put on hold. Life in general was put on hold with the pandemic. But um, we, didn't, we didn't work for three, almost three years. That's that's inconceivable. That is yeah. just unbelievable. How did it feel to finally be back on stage that first night? Uh, it, it felt great. I mean, it, as, as it went on, it felt easier and easier. But the first night we were, you know, nervous. It was like it, it, three years is an incredibly long. I, I told Stevie it was the funniest thing. We were talking one night and I went, I want you to know this is the first time in 50 years that I unpacked my suitcase. <laughs> you know, I mean, literally it was empty and that never happens. It's always semi-full, ready to go at a, at a moment's notice, whether it's Stevie's gig or going off to do sessions somewhere or working with the family or whatever. I mean, I've never, ever <laughs> unpacked a suitcase in all this time. Sure. And uh, so packing was like, God, how do I do this now? I can remember how to start doing this. It took me days to figure it out. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure. And especially the schedule that you have maintained for the last 50 years <laughs> to all yeah. of a sudden yep. just be put on hold and be put on hold indefinitely. It, it had to be surreal to to see the crowd again and go, all right, all right. It was, it was great. Yeah. But I mean, every night, Stevie, and every night she tells the crowd that we haven't we haven't worked in three years so for you to be out there watching us and for us to be welcome in your cities is just overwhelming for us it's just yeah. terrific yeah really you emotional know. and you've been working with stevie though i mean i said 50 years you've been working but you've been working with her that long as well right I, I, well it's funny i was thinking about russell danny and i and leland we've known each other about 50 years now i met stevie before i met any of them that's crazy. <laughs> Steve, we met in 1970. I think I might have met Leland. Leland was the first one of my brothers that I met. Uh, and Keith Olson, who produced that first Fleetwood record and produced the Buckingham Mix record. And I was working hand in hand with Keith at that time, doing my own stuff and doing sessions for him. And he said, you've got to play. I'm bringing this couple down from Northern California. And you've got to, you've got to play with them. You got to work with them. You're going to really like them. They're great singers, really good writers. Um, this guitar player needs to play with you. He needs to know how to learn and play with someone else because he does all of his own stuff. You know, so we, you know, so that's when Stevie and Lindsay and I all met. You know, Buckingham Knicks. That's how you met, and you yeah. played on that album. And did yeah. you think, oh, these two are going somewhere? <laughs> you know, we all we all thought we were all going somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Stevie's voice was was definitely significant. Lindsay was a great talent, great voice also. But you know, you never know, you know. And I'm so I'm sitting there believing in myself too. And and it was funny, the three of us, we all got record deals with uh, Polygram or whatever what it was called, Mercury Polygram at that time. I got a singles deal, they got an album deal. We worked on all the records together. And <laughs> Keith and Stevie and Lindsay and I, we all took our a little bit of advanced money and we all went to Hawaii and spent every dime that we got. You did. And, and that was and that was the only dime we ever got from that record company. <laughs> their, their record completely tanked. My record never made a noise. It my record got an American bandstand. But uh as far as uh it didn't rack up a lot of sales, let's put it that way. Neither did Buckingham Knicks. So the, the, the we're just sitting around going, well, now what? You know, and yeah. I was doing sessions at least. I was working in studios, but we were working clubs. We were playing the Troubadour as a little folk act and stuff like that. We, we didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was an incredible time. 
just an incredible time. And did you yeah. not work again with either one of them or Stevie at least until Belladonna? Did you yes, guys that's, collaborate? No, that's true. Like? We, 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 we parted our, we parted ways. I went off with, uh, my first gig was with the Everleys. And then what we were still, we were still all buddies at that point. Still all still wondering what the hell is going to happen to us all. Yeah. And, and then I started working with Linda, uh, Peter Asher, uh, Carol King's gig came up. Uh, Lou Adler hired me to play with, for Carol. And that's when I met Danny and that's when I met Russell, and that's when the four of us, the first session that the immediate family ever did was on a date for Lou Adler, for actually for uh, Tim Curry. It was, it was an album. I got hired by Lou uh, to join this group of guys and uh, play for Tim. And then a, a couple of days later, he, they called me and said, we want you to play on Carol's album. And oh then we God. toured that record. And that was, I believe that was 1974. Yeah. We toured that record. Peter Asher saw me on stage with Carol and he approached me about playing for Linda. And so I went in the studio, did some stuff, did some things for, for him with, for the, her records on, with Linda. They loved what I did. And then he said, you, I want you to go on the road with Linda. And I uh, went, well, what are you paying me? And he, yeah. he said, well, I'm not paying you what Carol paid you. I said, well, then I'm not going but uh, we we worked it out thank goodness Peter's the greatest and so there we went but so yeah I hadn't seen Stevie since I since I hooked up with uh, Lou Adler and and those guys my brothers at that point chronologically I was working with Warren and the Everly Brothers that's where he and I met Zivon and I met playing for the Everly Brothers yeah, we've got to touch on the Everly Brothers for sure. <laughs> so, I hope so. And Warren knew Jackson Brown, who I didn't know. I knew who he was. And so he brought me in to play on Jackson's, the album that Jackson produced, uh, Warren's first record for Asylum. Mm-hmm. And, and I played on it. And, uh, and I went off to Europe with Linda and, and I was feeling very confident that I was being interviewed by somebody. And they said, what did you think of Jackson's? production on Warren's record and I think I'm so cool and I'm so far away from home no one's ever going to read any of this so I said you know I think Jackson had his hands too full really I mean Warren was quite a problem to deal with aside from the fact that he was completely drunk all the time um he, he was a he was a tough cookie to play with you know I mean we we were like oil and water from the second we met we you and dug Warren. each other yeah we dug each other, but we couldn't stand each other too, because we both thought we knew more than the other guy. And right. <laughs> and we, you know, and so I got home from this tour from Linda, and my phone is ringing, and it's I pick it up. It's Waddy. Hey, it's Jackson. Jackson. Well, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, Yeah, I'm doing fine. He says, Listen, man, I read your interview, and I went, oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What did you say? <laughs> he says. I read your interview, you know, the one you did in England, the one where you said, the one where you said I had my hands too full and I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, so God, I, your stomach must have just turned. Well, I was going, um, well, I, uh, I, uh, and he goes, he goes, and you were right. He says, that's why I'm calling you. I went, what? He goes, yeah, I need you. I want you to produce his next record with me. Uh, because I said, you don't even know me. He says, I know you now. <laughs> he goes, I, I know you better than I know a lot of people now. And I know where I stand with you, like and vice versa. But he says, and Jackson disputes this next part, but I know it happened. He, he says, Warren, he won't listen to me now. After he did this first record, he's not going to listen to me, but he'll listen to you now. But after this record, he won't listen to you either, which is, is exactly what happened. But. I knew Warren's songs very well. He and I spent all that time, a year on the road with the Evs, and he was writing. He had Frank and Jesse. He had Poor Pitiful Me. He had Hasten Down the Wind. He had all these incredible songs. Everly's used to let us go and do a song on stage during the show. It was amazing. He would do Frank and Jesse. I would do my song, Maybe I'm Right, that Linda recorded on the Simple Dreams record. Uh, then they'd say, This is Waddy, this is Warren, let them, you know, let them sing. Um, so Jackson brought me in to co-produce the Excitable Boy record. And uh, and still, Stevie and Lindsay and I were, at that point, gone from each other. The closest we came was 
when it was time to cut Werewolves of London, which was the hardest song in the world to record because it was so simple, it just sounded, <laughs> Warren and I just kept saying no. Every band we put together, and Jackson would go, that, that's good. And we were going, that's not it. That's not it. It's got, it sounds too funny. It sounds cute. It can't and you sound brought cute. in stellar musicians. I mean, every combination, right? We had the best bands in, in Los Angeles playing every, every song on that record. When we were in that position. I knew everybody. And, yeah. but no matter what combination we put together, Werewolves sounded stupid to being worn. Because it wasn't uh, meant to be, because it's still a song that I listen to and I laugh. And it, it's, I don't laugh because it's campy. I laugh because it's no. clever. It's, it, it, well, you laugh because what we said was, no, that it's not working because the band can't sound cute. It's got it. The jokes have to work on top of this serious sounding band. And our, our dear brother, Jorge Calderon, who was with us all the time, all of a sudden he suggested to me, he goes, well, Hadi, what about Mick and Ke what about Mick and John from Fleetwood? And I went, oh man, those guys could lay this fucking song down. They could lay this down. So I called Mick Fleetwood. He was over the moon that we wanted them to come play with us. And we're going, you're honored that we want you to come play with us. Yeah. We're honored. How about let's forget all the honor and just yeah. get down here. So they came down. We spent an entire night working on Werewolves of London, played it all night long. Um, finally, at four in the morning, at about take 60, I looked at Jackson and I went, Jackson, didn't you say, didn't you say take two was good? And he goes, yeah, you want to hear it? I went, yeah, let's hear take two. Take two is the record. Um, but Mick wouldn't let me stop. You know, he kept going, we're never done, Woody. We're never done. And so it was Warren and myself. How do you argue with Mick, right? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we were so happy to have them there. And they just wanted to keep playing. So you're so, going to let them? We just let them. We kept going. So I finally said, I think we're done now, Mick. <laughs> I yeah. said, now, Mick, we are done. But still, I still hadn't seen Stevie, you know. And then I went back out on the road with with Linda, and they filmed that movie called FM. I don't know if you remember this movie. There was a movie, and Linda and the band we were in that movie. They wrote this around this concert. So I had a date with my ex girlfriend and my dear brother John David Souther to go see the movie. And and he said my date's going to be Stevie. I went what? You know Stevie? And I hadn't seen her and this is years now, you know. And she they so were we got to Huh? They were dating? Yeah, they dated for a little while. I never knew. Huh. Yeah, a little while. And so we show up, we meet up, we haven't seen each other in years. And all of a sudden Stevie's smoking a cigarette, you know. And I'm looking at her going, um, okay, uh, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> she never smoked a cigarette. She never took a drink. She never did anything. She was the cleanest thing in the world when we met. She's smoking a cigarette, you know, having a drink. I'm going, whoa, you, okay, you've changed a little. And, uh, but she was still her and just, just, you know, incredible on stage. And, and then by 1980, or when it was, Jimmy Iovine called me and said, we want you to come play on Stevie's solo record. And that was the first time we'd played together since this, 70s you know since the yeah. early 70s and we've been basically together since then we took a couple of years off uh around 88 which which worked out incredibly well because she needed to go to uh rehab she was she was in her problematic period and uh my problematic period just kept going but, <laughs> but I, you I never checked up. that one <laughs> i got a call from keith richards saying uh I'm putting a band together and you're in it. I went, well, that's just the best news in the world. So uh, he says, there's no auditioning. You're the other guitar player. I went, I'm ready. So these, those years from 88 to 94 or 95, I was with Keith. Yeah, and then uh, Stevie and I spoke and she said, please come back. You got to come back. 
and uh, I got on stage and we played a little and it was it was still what we did so we we're back together since then Well, Belladonna is magic. That is a magical freaking album. Um, the songs on it, to me, she came out of the gate strong. And I know I one song I want to bring up, Edge of Seventeen, because I know you play that guitar riff. Yeah. Chicka, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, amazing, incredible sound. And you guys dropped a single, and we can talk about this more uh, in a bit, but you dropped your most recent single, The Toughest Girl in Town. And I feel like there's a similar sound to that. It's got to oh, be, really? I don't know, maybe it was my ears, but I thought, oh, because that's got to be an incredibly difficult, um, you know, sound you're employing on the guitar there. Uh, well, <laughs> they're different. They're very different. But this- Okay. There's a lot of what we call eighth notes going on in both of those songs, so there's that similarity. But I'm I'm, I'm doing it more on an acoustic in Toughest Girl, mm-hmm. where uh, on Edge of Seventeen it was. I heard the demo they did it, and uh, the guitar player was doing it with an echo pedal, and I just said, "I'm not doing that. I don't use pedals. I don't like them. I'm just going to play it." And Jimmy Iovine went, "What do you mean you're just going to play it?" I said, "I'll show you what I mean." And I just went out and started playing that lick like that. But that's great. So I didn't realize I was going to trap myself into, you know, <laughs> one of the hardest things to do in the world if you haven't played in three years to, to get your arm back in shape for that tune. Oh, no know. kidding. No kidding. <laughs> and you guys, is, you know, with the exception of that break you talked about, and you definitely kept yourself busy. You guys have been together ever since. And what is it you think yeah. that keeps bringing you guys back together or keeps you so glued together? I mean, is it something beyond chemistry? It's not just friendship. Uh, well, it's 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 all those things. It's friendship. It's it's beyond chemistry, and it's Stevie's. She's a real, real rock and roller. She is a real. She's the real thing. And I I saw it when we got on stage the first time we played together. Even during rehearsals, I didn't. I wasn't aware of it. We were getting ready. To, we did Belladonna. We got through the album. We, it was great. Yeah. But when we played that first night on stage, I, I'm looking at her and I just went, I got to tell you, Stevie. You are a rock and roller, and uh, I don't use that term loosely. As a matter of fact, I know very few people I can say that about, and uh, you are one. And she's going, and she said, yeah, she goes, I know you don't like what I do. You know, I know you don't like, you never liked my music. I went, what? I said, well, I do, I do now, you know, because it was weird at first when we met them. When I met them, Stevie's writing was so... Uh, advanced i guess you'd say and lyrically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of this world and you know i i, I come from guitar based rock and roll and a, a much simpler approach to lyric sure i just i couldn't i couldn't understand what she was talking about I really, <laughs> you really I, need I, to I asked, sit there and understand I, the metaphor and interpret I, her i asked Lindsay, i said what the hell is she talking about <laughs> what is she talking about in those songs i don't get it at all why don't i understand what she's saying i mean <laughs> and, and I've, 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 you know, I, do you read a lot, Stevie? No, no. Where do you get all this? She goes, I don't know. No, she just, she reads. She does read. She reads, but she's not an avid reader like like some people that I know are just constantly reading, 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 reading. She's she's very observant, but she's just a dynamite performer on stage. She means it every time she says a word. She means it, and uh, and we have our our act on stage together. We like I said to someone the other day, we've never bumped into each other once on stage. You know, yeah. we know how to get around on stage together and and work it as a rock and roll act. You know, it's like when she would go, she she went up with Fleetwood for about a year or two, and she came back, and we were doing, we started to do stand back, and I and I just stopped her, and I went, "What are you doing?" And she goes, "What do you mean? What am I doing? I'm singing the song." I went, 
No, you're not. You're standing up straight. You're standing at attention. And I said, Steve, you remember when we work, we're down here and I'm bending over going, you know, you got to get down and, you know, get down, girl, get down in that crouch. She was <laughs> standing up there all politely singing this tune. It doesn't work. She goes, oh, yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. So we know how to rock and roll together for, for what we do. And and I love her to death. And uh, musically and spiritually, we, we, we are very connected. Aside from that, we're born two days apart. You know, one year, one year older I am, but we just, I can, I can, I know how to lead bands and I can lead a band for her very well. And I know what she needs on stage. Yeah. And that's worth its weight in gold. Most definitely. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth, cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only. Right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Okay, guys, let's get back to the interview. What I- 
Stevie Nicks was, I will admit, my first girl crush. (laughs) (laughs) You're not alone, I'm sure. Oh, gosh. All this music coming at me in my formative years. And uh, yeah, she was one of the ones that stuck. But I want to go back to the beginning, though, Wadi. I want to go back to New York before you even came out to L.A. What... What was it that even made you pick up a guitar? Because you came out to L.A. around uh, late 60s, right? 68. 68. All right. Yeah. And you were, you, what made you come out to L.A.? We had the opportunity to. Uh, we are, uh, we were a band, had a band in New York. And um, we were getting nowhere. Uh, we were playing up in Rhode Island. We were playing in New England. We were playing in Vermont. Vermont is about the last stop when you realize man, you know, next stop is frozen north. And, uh, and we worked in, in Newport, Rhode Island a lot. And in Newport, Rhode Island, there was this family known as the Cowsills, which, which was a word I'd never even heard of. And people kept saying, have you heard the Cowsills? And I'm going, what, what is a Cowsill? What kind of word is that? And then they told me about these boys. It was just the boys then. Uh. But they, they, and they told me about their father, and I went, wait a minute, their father? I said, isn't that the guy I have thrown out of the club every night? Because he was this miserable bastard, drunken. Oh. I don't know how, how much, how many adjectives I can use on your podcast here, but uh, this miserable fuck would come in the, the club every night and make a scene. And I didn't know who he was. And I just throw that fucking guy out of here. This is up in Newport, Rhode Island. Get him out of here. Throw him out. Three, four times a week, throwing this guy out. Finally, I realized this is the father of these boys that people keep telling me about. So I went over to where they played, and I heard them. And they were fantastic. It was just the four boys doing the best Beatles you've ever heard. Yeah. And they were 12, 13, 15, and 16. And they were wonderful. They were great kids. They sang beautifully. But their father was the worst guy in the world. And he kept approaching me saying, I want to manage you. I'm like, get the fuck away yeah, from you me, said, man. You're the one that's been heckling me. Hell no. God, I can't stand you. Go away. And finally, he said to me, Wadi, my kids are going to make it. Uh, kids are going to make it. And I said, yeah. I said, well, bud, if you ever get a million dollars together, then come ask me again. He goes, all right. And then we were up in Vermont. The band was up in Vermont playing in the ski areas, freezing. And I got a call from uh, the club owner that I used to work for, who used to help me throw Bud out of the club, <laughs> telling me telling me he works for Bud now. I went, you work for Bud? He goes, Wadi, he's got money now. Yeah. And he wants, to, he wants to talk to you. I went, what? And he put some audio. He Wadi. says, uh, we're coming up to see you guys. I went, what? It's a blizzard. He says, I don't care. We're driving up. I want to hear the band. So they came up the next night, heard the band. I sat down at the table with him and he goes, well, I got the million bucks now. You want to come with me now? And I went, absolutely. <laughs> Get me out of Vermont, will you please? <laughs> well, that spoke, that spoke volumes to me. You know, I knew I still couldn't trust him or I still hated him, but you got a million bucks, I'm going with you. And yeah, he pulled yeah. us out of Vermont. We went down to New York. We lived with them for like months. They had these a couple of apartments at uh, 888 8th Avenue. So they threw the kids out of the downstairs apartment. My band lived down there. And we spent a lot of time together. Bill, Billy, Billy was the first one to die, unfortunately. And Barry's gone now. And so another brother, Dick. But Billy was the lead singer and a, a craziest, craziest loon because he'd been beaten his whole life by his miserable father. And uh, so he was out of his mind. And they were all out of their fucking minds. But John Cowsill still works today. He's working. He's been playing with the Beach Boys for years. Mm-hmm. And bro- brother Bob still sings, and they still do their Cowsill thing. But we we were there in New York with them, and, and all of a sudden, Bud says to me one day, he goes, "Wadi, I'm thinking of moving my whole operation to Los Angeles. You want to go?" I went, "Definitely. Yeah. Let's get out of here, man. I can't. I can't even get in a studio here. I'm trying and trying. I can't. I'm afraid to walk into Atlantic Records. They'll throw me out." Nobody knows me. Um, yeah, let's go. So we went, we all packed up. We moved to California. Wow. And then Bud proceeded to blow every record deal that my band got. I literally got a phone call 
picked up the phone. I could hear our demo playing in the background. And I hear this voice going, I want to speak to Wadi. This is Ahmed Erdogan. Oh, my went, gosh. What? Uh, what? Uh, this, this is Wadi. He goes, Wadi, welcome to Atlantic fucking records, man. I love this fucking record. And I could hear it playing in the background. Oh he goes, congratulations. God. You're going to be on Atlantic. And I, told, I hung up the phone. I told the band, I can't believe this, but I just got off the phone with Ahmed. And uh, we're signing to Atlantic. A day later, Bud Council tells me it's off. Bud says, oh, he was an asshole. He didn't know what he wanted. He wanted too much, this and that. He blew the deal for it. I went, you've got to be kidding me. You, you, we're not on Atlantic. Next thing I know, Columbia wants us. He goes in, he blows that deal. He no. blew every record deal we were up for because he wanted too much. He was such a bad dude and oh. such an overconfident, alcoholic-minded fool. He didn't. He, he couldn't get it right. So oh he screwed God. us out of that. He screwed them. The, you know that? Remember that show, The Partridge Family? Oh, yeah. That was the Cousel's family. Yes. That show was theirs. And he went to the meeting and started asking for all he wanted. And they went, no, you can't have all that. Fuck you. And he goes, oh, yeah? Well, you can't do this show without us. And they went, oh, really? Yes, we can. Get out of our office. And they put together, they assembled a cast. They called it the Partridge Family. That was their show. Oh, uh, you think that he would have learned after blowing deal after deal? No, he Maybe. would never learn. He'd never learn. And there was no salvaging anything with Columbia or Atlantic. It, no, it, no, he, he blew it. That was it. I could never go back. That you know, is we were, we were there. That's It was amazing. Thing. Yeah, so that's how, that was the trip from New York to Newport to Vermont to finally get to L.A. And then at that point, the band that I had was, we met, the first people I met, the first guy I met was Dave Crosby when we came out here. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, we're sitting in a restaurant the second night we're in Los Angeles, David Crosby's sitting there. And I'm like going, this is insane. I, I, this is crazy. Uh, I got to go make a fool of myself and introduce myself to this guy. Otherwise uh, this may never happen again. So right. I did, I went over, invited him over to hear the band. He came over, he loved the band. He loved the music anyway, I thought. He loved us, we had a good time. Then he called me one day and he goes, Wadi, you know, you're the only one in that band. You know that, right? And I went, oh, please don't tell me that. He goes, you know I'm telling you the truth, right? He goes, the music's good. The songs are good, but those guys, uh, they're not players like you are. These guys can't play like you. And I went, That's hard to hear. You're killing me. But it was it was the truth. And so eventually I, I didn't quit. I fired everyone. And I made it a point to let them know, you're fired. I'm not quitting. You're all fired. And uh, <laughs> the girl in the band, Judy Palmer, and I, we stuck together and we started pursuing the record deals and Judy is a very good writer. She and I wrote the songs that we did and, mm. and Judy's still around. She works for a variety right now. She's still, she's a great girl. And, uh, but everyone else is either dead or God knows where, uh, you know, spread out. But yeah. I decided at that point and, and I threw, and we had met Keith Olson at that point, Kurt Betcher and Keith loved the band and we went in the studio and we started recording with him. And then when I broke up the band, he says, that's cool. So it's you I want to work with anyway. So he and I kept working. And, uh, and then they, that's when he said, I got, you got to meet this couple from, from Northern California. And uh, that's when all of that began happening. you get the audition with the Everly Brothers? Oh, that, uh, I went to this, uh, there was a, a, a guy, Arnold, I can't remember his last name. He was a bass player that I've been working with. And he called me and said, uh, come over to my house. We got to talk about some sessions I got coming up. I want to talk to you about these dates. 
I said, okay, great. So I went over there. We're talking about these upcoming record dates. And he goes, oh, listen, by the way, the Everly Brothers are going on a European tour and they need a guitar player. And I went, stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding me. What? The Everly Brothers? I said, I know every song they've ever done. I know every guitar part. I know every vocal part. I know all the lyrics. That's my gig. How do I get that gig? He goes, well, call this guy, writes down this number, and the name was Sandy Zivon. And, he, and his phone number, he goes, call this guy. He's, he's the band leader. Went, Sandy Zivon, okay. So I called Sandy Zivon and set up an audition and went there and I saw some guy with long hair and I went, are you Sandy? And he goes, no, no, I'm the drummer. I'm, I'm, I'm the new drummer. I'm auditioning today. I went, oh, okay. And I saw this other straight looking guy. I went, are you Sandy? He goes, no, no, I'm the bass player. I'm Bob Kanigi. I've been with the Everly's for 15 years. And went, okay, so who's Sandy? And then finally the door opens and in walks this guy with like a seersucker jacket on and a fedora. You're Sandy? And he looked more like someone would be in management or something. I went, you're the, man- you're, you're the guy? Said, yeah, yeah. I'm, I said, okay. He says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we'll play this song once and then we'll play it with you. And I went, well, you know, you could leave out that first step because <laughs> I know all these songs. He said, no, we'll do it my way. Okay. That's what I mean. We right away, we didn't get along hmm. right away. We, you do it my way. Huh? Okay. So I said, fine. So we play the song. I play it. Sounds fine. Play another one. So I do it. Sounds fine. We get to the third song. It's a song called Walk Right Back. Beautiful Everly Brothers hit. Yeah. Warren, they start playing it. And I'm thinking, this guy doesn't like me already. And he's playing it wrong. So uh, this is really not going to go down well at all. <laughs> he's playing these specific chords incorrectly. And, and I know how they go. So I'm thinking, oh, this is really not going to well, go over well at all. <laughs> so he goes, okay, it's your turn to play it. And I said, well, okay, I'll play it. But you're playing it wrong. And he just went, what? I'm the musical director for the Everly Brothers. What are you talking about? I'm playing it wrong. I said, I'm sorry. You're playing it wrong. It goes like this. And the bass player who'd been with them forever goes, hey, hey, that's right. That's how it goes. It goes like that. So that really sealed my love and, you know, our, our relationship was yeah. souring. Souring <laughs> of by the second. And... <laughs> So we do a few more songs and Warren, at that point, it was summertime, hot, hot LA. I had a big old beard, hardly wore, you know, undershirt, clogged. It was blazing hot. So he goes, well, you probably got the job. And really resentfully too. You probably got the job, but uh, you're going to have to shave that beard off. I went, what? I said, you? I said, if Don Everly tells me I got to shave my beard off, I'll shave it off right then. But you telling me I got to shave? I ain't buying that. No, I ain't shaving for you. <laughs> and, I, and then I said, by the way, where, where is Don Everly? Where are the Everly brothers? How come they're not here? And, and he goes, well, they're making their record. And I went, they're making their record and you're their band? I said, yeah. well, <laughs> I said I'm a studio musician. Aren't you? I, why are they making their record without you? That's weird. <laughs> what kind of band is this? So we can't. We, we sealed our, you know, our love affair very, very coldly. And, but we had a ball on the road. We, we played music every night and we drew the Everly's into the room every night. Every night on those tours, Donald and Phil would be in the room with Warren and I and Bob, the bass player. We'd, we'd be smoking cigarettes, drinking our brains out, playing music all night long. It was the most astounding trip to have the Everly Brothers in your hotel room singing. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, if you could have thought, or at least, you know, think back to when you were a boy and you were listening to all those songs and you knew all those songs forward and back, yeah. to then know that one day you would be so closely aligned with them, working with them. I mean, that's oh, yeah. It was insane. It was insane. I did. But, so. but from the Everly Brothers, you got obviously this close collaboration um, with Warren Zevon, you know? Well, yeah, like I said, we, we played we played music every night. So I knew his songs. He knew my couple of songs. And 
And we just kept learning country songs from the Everly's. They'd come up with these tunes we'd never heard before. And Warren knew a lot of blues tunes I didn't know. And the vice versa, I knew a lot of stuff he didn't know. So we, it was an amazing musical experience the whole year we were on the road. And, uh, and then it came to a close. And I just kept doing what I was doing. And by then, that's when I was doing a lot of sessions. And that's when Lou heard about me and hired me to work with uh, with the guys. But like I said, I met Leland first on a date. Keith Olsen put us on a date together for Bobby Womack. Mm-hmm. So then I met Lee. And then a few days or weeks later, I met Russell. Um, he had the same kind of, we both had 57 Chevys. His was in good shape. Mine was a mess. But we pulled the, we, he pulled out of this parking lot. And we were right in the middle of Santa Monica Boulevard. He goes, are you Waddy? And I went, yeah, are you Russ? He goes, yeah, man. He says, we're going to be seeing a lot of each other. And uh, like that, I went, oh, I hope so. <laughs> and then it was the Cooch was the only one I didn't know. And I kept thinking, who is this guy Cooch? And why is he getting all this work? And I was really envious about it, jealous of it. I was like, who is this guy? And when Lou put us on that first date for Tim Curry, not only did Danny and I click the second we saw each other, we loved each other, but he put us on a reggae tune. And at that point in our lives, early 70s, The Harder They Come had just come out. And that's all Warren and myself and our friend Jorge. It's all we were listening to. And that's what Danny was listening to. So we clicked musically so heavily about the reggae. And the first tune they wanted to do was a reggae tune. So Danny and I knew exactly what to do with our guitars. As we still do today, we just never get in each other's way when we play together. And that was the first time the band played together was on that date. You know, and that was, you know, about over 50 years ago. Yeah, your your life is a series of long-standing relationships. Yeah, it's wild. It's very wild. And it's an amazing reality to be in a band with guys you've known and loved for so long. And to be in a band that where we don't, you know, Danny and I argue. We argue about music, which I find thrilling, that it means that much to us both to, to be at each other's throats about a phrase or a title or a line or anything, that it means that much to us to go, what do you mean? Fuck you, man. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> I said, that's how important that's how important it is to the both of us, you know, yeah. that we argue passionately about it. I love that. want to ask you a little question here because for my own personal knowledge um you composed uh, a number of movie soundtracks uh two of which were uh grandma's boy and joe dirt love yeah. those movies love those movies. Uh, you like, you like no, grandma's boy huh? oh grandma, I know, grandma's boy is like a cult classic everybody knows joe dirt but if you yeah. come out with grandma's uh grandma's boy it's like Huh. <laughs> those are some whack movies i was thrilled yeah joe dirt was my first full-length feature i started on Waterboy, but i had to leave the project i couldn't i couldn't stay there was some contractual problems i had but i wrote the main title and i wrote the main theme for it but i had to split but but when i got joe dirt that was completely my composition the whole thing and uh i was thrilled so good. Writing for film was a very uh, eye-opening experience and, and great because he said, you're writing this for a huge orchestra. And I went, I have no idea what I'm doing. I said to me, all I'm doing is thinking, I was such a Beach Boys fan. And I studied, you know, as, as well as I knew Everly's, I knew everything about Beach Boy records. That's my life is studying, studying records and figuring out what they are. So I was just thinking, what would Brian do? How would you do this? How would you do this? And he goes, you're writing this for like a 95 piece orchestra. I went, what? (laughs) I am. And he got, he went to the uh, music department and they, they okayed the budget for it. So my first movie literally had a 95 piece orchestra 
in the studio My playing and playing every note of music that I wrote. And <laughs> it was phenomenal. And the and the thing about the difference was when you're working with an artist, for example, when I'm with Warren or if I'm producing Gilby Clark or, or any Brian Ferry, or you have to make sure that that artist is comfortable. Sure. Because you're not going to get anything if they're not. If they're uptight and if you're making them worse, they're not going to give you anything. You have to really make sure that they come first. Yeah. But when it's my music being played by an orchestra, that factor was gone. So somebody said, are you digging this? I said, am I digging this? This is, this is fantastic. You know, uh, <laughs> they're playing everything I wrote. And, uh, oh, well, that's not right. Tell Tell the second 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 chair fiddle that that's got to be done a different way. It, it was amazing. Yeah, it was great. So I loved it. I, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's it's very it's a very different world than making records. You know, I, I so Stevie said to me one day, "Shoot, I want to do what you do. I want to I want to write music for movies." I went, "No, you don't." <laughs> I said, "You don't," because I said, "There's a word, there's a word you're unfamiliar with in the movie business." And that word is no, because <laughs> you write something and you work your butt off on something and you bring it in and they, they, they hear it and they go, no, what else you got? Yeah. I mean, what else I got? What do you mean? What else That's I got? It. No, I don't have anything else. Well, get something else. If that doesn't work. Okay. So yeah. you got to get used to the word no. And you hear it from a lot of different people, you know. <laughs> yeah, when you got a lot of yes people around you and making that transition, I'm sure is hard. Yeah, well, it's not even yes people. It's just team, uh, a whole production team of people going, that works, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that works. You know, it's hard. Oh, well, I had to bring it up because I saw the yeah. list of movies that you did and I thought these are classics within my family too. We have that that sense of humor to where I knew it. I knew every single one of those movies. And I thought, Oh, this is great. I, I got to ask him about these. <laughs> yeah. It's really, I really <laughs> dig it. you about you know the immediate family you guys got a lot going on once you're done with stevie you guys are hitting the road and playing a few dates out we here are. in california yeah we're doing uh all the canyon clubs uh, lance owns like three or four different canyon clubs santa clarita agura uh yep. the, i can't think of the name of the other ones and then there's the coach house mm -hmm. down in san clemente and uh the libero theater is this lovely little theater in uh, santa barbara barbara and, and uh, we're doing several as many gigs as we can, you know. Yeah, it's gonna be it'll be great. And the record, we're just now finishing our new album. It's just being sequenced and uh, mastered, and it's gonna blow your mind. I think you'll really dig it. I hope. I hope. I hope everyone digs it. We do. We're very proud of it. Oh, I'm sure. When is it? When is it due to come out? That that's hard to say because of the documentary that Danny Tedesco has been doing on us. That we're trying to, that's in festivals right now. Yeah. So until that's bought, we don't have a release date for that. And okay. we're trying, we would love to time the both of them together. So we don't know yet, but that's why we put the single out now because we've got to get something out. It's been too long. Yeah. So this single came out, the, the video. Of, did you see the video? Yep. I saw it. It was great. Are, are we going? Our guy, Brian, he just outdid himself on it. It's so wonderful the way he perceived that title. Because I, I, just, I just thought it was a great song. And I thought it was a great song for us. And I was really thrilled with the way it came out. But I never, never took it to that place that he saw with all of a sudden there's Maya Angelou. And there's, there's, there's Nina and Simone. Mother Teresa. There's and Ginsburg. All these, the most important women in the world. It was just mind blowing. It just killed me. 
So great. Well, the way it starts out, you know, you got this kind of tough looking, going to take on the world, young girl coming off the bus, you know, and I'm watching this. And then all of a sudden, like you said, all of a sudden, these images of these iconic women that have just changed the world, you know, all of a sudden appear. Yeah, it's moving. It it gave me chills. I was like, ah. Me too. It really did. And, Mm -hmm. And I'm usually... I'm the one who's always going, wait, we got to change that. We got to change that. That ain't right. That ain't right. And we looked at it. And at first I said, those shots got to go. These couple of shots got to go. And then I said, you know what? What's more important is this film comes out now. So forget my changes. Let's just get it out. Yeah. And so that's why it came out. You know, it, it's on YouTube now. It came out yeah. yesterday on YouTube. Yeah. And, uh, I watched it. Um, and I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. So people can see it and get an idea. Oh, great. Well. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. definitely. What we're talking about. And I loved your last album too. I mean, I think most people did, especially if they were from LA laughed out loud when they heard divorced. <laughs> <laughs> divorced. divorced is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it's pretty great. It was Danny's lyric. I mean, he, that's one of the ones where Danny would call, he called me and said, I've got this, I got this song, but I don't know musically where to go with it. I got the lyrics and we got together and that's what's great about Danny and I's relationship. You know, he'll, he'll come up with something and I can hear, I can hear the musical part or vice versa. I'll have a song that I think is musically sound, but I've never been thrilled with the lyric and he'll find the phrase. He'll find the right phrase. And it's just great. You know, we're, we're thrilled. And we're so lucky to be, to have known each other this long and to have the opportunity to be playing in this band together. It's, it's, it's pretty miraculous, really. It's, it's incredible. And I'm going to see you guys at the uh, Canyon club in Santa Clarita on the 12th. Oh, great. Next Saturday. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I can't wait to, to see you guys at action, especially after talking to you and talking to Danny. It'll be great. It'll be special for me. Out of sight. And the documentary itself, I know you're waiting on that. And I know that that also was um, put temporarily on hold with the um, pandemic in full swing. But I watched the trailer. Yeah, they kept shooting through it somehow. We kept, they kept on moving through it. Good. You know, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was and is uh, an act of love, that movie. Uh, I've only seen it once now. Uh, I saw the first rough cut and uh, I was, I had to say, God, who are these guys? <laughs> these guys are, <laughs> these guys are fa- fairly interesting. <laughs> you know, they're, they're pretty funny and uh, and interesting. And it was it was wild to see a movie about you know after having after all of us having been on the sideline with so many great artists and stuff to be able to stay you know so who's sitting in with you? Nobody. That's who's sitting in. <laughs> no guest singer. No, we're not having anybody come sing. You know, we're doing it now. You're it's, doing it's it. A, a thrill. Yeah, it's a thrill. Well, I look forward to the documentary, especially you know since it's been directed by Denny Tedesco. Um, yeah. I saw the Wrecking Crew, and that was a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. Yes, it was. So Denny's too much. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting with deep anticipation for this oh, next right. one. Right. Um, and I want to ask you because you are on my rock moment, and I know it's hard to just go back in the archives of all these moments that you've experienced, but you know. What are some of those standout moments for you? You know, maybe the first time you held a guitar or heard an album and said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Or, you know, story from the road with Stevie or Linda or Keith or whoever it might be. Some of those standout moments for you. Well, there's lots, there's lots of them. I mean, the, the first one I'll tell you about the falling in love with the guitar. My mother died when I was six years old, but before she died, we were standing near this television and on television was some big band playing. And it was a black and white TV. This is like, you know, 1950 something. And all of a sudden they showed her a close up of this guy holding this 
instrument and strumming this thing. And I was just mesmerized. I just went, what am I looking at? What is that? Mom, what is, what is that guy doing? What is he, what is he holding? What is that? And she said, that's a guitar. And I went, guitar? That's what I want. And she goes, what do you mean? That's what you're five years old. What do you mean? That's what you want. I said, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want to do. I want to play that. I want to do that. And then, uh, she passed when I was six and by, I kept bothering my father until I was nine. And finally he got me, he got me my first kid and, uh, and, a, and a teacher. And I started studying guitar. So I started, you know, nine years old, I started playing the guitar and we realized soon that my ear was faster than my eye, that I could learn stuff very quickly by ear. Hmm. I could read. I'm, I'm an okay reader. I'm not a great reader, but, but I would learn things very quickly because of my ear. And so that was how I got on the guitar. But then moments, the moments are, are, are many, many and, and almost innumerable. I mean, because I mean, there's, I got on this record, you know, there I am playing on a record with the Everly Brothers, you know, that was like wild. Yeah. And, uh, and then, but then when Peter brought me in to play for, for Linda, and we did that song that'll be the day mm-hmm. and that's my first solo that i did on a on a, a song for her and that's a live solo that i just slammed it out on the on the, the stratocaster and so that was a big moment and then i heard it on the radio that was a big moment i went wow well, listen there's my fucking guitar holy shit there's my guitar and then you know the edge of 17 moment was a big thing and then playing with keith you know and cutting those songs when we cut his song, Take It So Hard, that first single, that track is live. You know, my solo on there is live. You know, it's like, you know, I, they tell you when you're coming up, don't don't go for solos while you're tracking, you know, just play rhythm and let, you know, we'll overdub the solos later. But after doing that for a little while in the studio, I, I would hear something and I go, I'm just going to go for it. I don't care what they're telling me. And I did. And that's one of the reasons Danny and myself and Lee and Russ, that we would do other things than what was on the chart. We would add our own thing to it. And yeah. they started digging that back then. You know, you never did that earlier. You got in, you read a chart, and you went to the next session. Sure. But we were bringing, and they'd said, do that thing. Come in and do what you do, you know. Just play what you want, you know, play your thing. So that became our version of the studio. And that, that altered the whole program. Everything. So, but this, there's a lot of those moments, so you know, so many. It's it's hard for for some of my guests to answer, but sometimes it pulls out those those visceral moments, you know, where you're going, "I'm never going to forget this," or "Yeah, this is yeah. it. I want to be yeah. a musician. This is what I want to do." Yeah, you know? that was that was a wild moment. My mother <laughs> looking at me, going, "You're five. <laughs> I mean, and then to pursue it till you're nine, till you finally get that guitar in hand. Yeah. That's no, I never gave That's up. Incredible. I never gave up. You always knew. Yeah. You always knew. Uh, Wadi, this has <laughs> yeah. been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your stories. I, I'm fascinated. Uh-huh. I, I I, mean, I'm looking at my notes and I could go on another two hours, but I won't do that today. <laughs> you're on the road. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. But well, I appreciate another time, you maybe. sharing and definitely. So good luck out there okay. in Phoenix. Thanks, Amanda. And Thank I'm excited you. to see you next Saturday. We'll look for you Saturday. That'd be great.
All right, a big thank you to Wadi for coming on My Rock Moment. That was so much fun. And guys, I put a link in the show notes to the remaining tour dates of the immediate family. If they're in your area and you can go see them, I highly recommend you do. It's really a fun show. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to rate, follow, subscribe, and then find me on Instagram at LA Woman Rocks. Shoot me a message. All right, we'll see you at the next one. In the meantime, have a happy Thanksgiving to all of you listening in the U.S. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.